Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, you rebels. Do you like that moniker, rebel? Amen. Amen, yeah. (laughs) You know, we as Americans, uh, we kind of like the image of a rebel. We, you know, would bear bear that uh, as, uh, or wear it as as a badge of honor, right? Of distinction. I'm a rebel. Today we celebrate our independence, our rebellion against tyranny. We lift up and look to people who we could call rebels, whether it's revolutionaries like George Washington or James Madison, or prophets and rule breakers like Harriet Tubman, Harriet Beecher Stowe, or Susan B. Anthony. You know, we look to, in our popular culture, those in our past uh, who have maybe even a questionable history, but we lift them up because they were rebels. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Doc Holliday, right? We make movies about and books about these rebels. We have cultural icons that we look to Real and fictitious, Muhammad Ali, James Dean, perhaps the quintessential rebel of the 20th century, or even in our fiction, Han Solo, right? I've got dice hanging from my, from my mirror in my car, right? A little nod to him. Not convinced? Just turn on the television, watch Watch the commercials that are aimed at us, trying to sell their goods. Watch a Jeep commercial, right? Whatever it is that they're trying to sell, they are trying to also tap in to this understanding we have as a country, as a people, even as individuals, that we are rebels. So good morning, you rebels. I wonder if that is how Ezekiel greeted the people of Israel when he went to the banks of the Chebar River in Babylon. He was sent by God, commissioned to be a prophet, as God said, to a nation, a people of rebels. Of course, that wasn't a good thing in God's estimation. For they were rebelling against God. Not just God, though. Rebelling against those who were in authority over them. You know, Israel had an infamous legacy of rebellion. You know, just in the years preceding Ezekiel's call as a prophet, Jehoiakim, the king of Jerusalem and of Judah, had rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, to whom he had pledged fealty. And 
He died before Nebuchadnezzar arrived to do something about it, but his son Jehoiachin continued that rebellion. And Nebuchadnezzar arrived at the gates of Jerusalem and took Jehoiachin and all of the nobility and artisans of the land, 10,000 and more people, including Ezekiel, all the priests took him into captivity to the land of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar, before he left, set up another king, a vassal king, and that king, who was the king at the time of uh, Ezekiel's call, Zedekiah, he also would rebel against Nebuchadnezzar in time. And if you read through the book of Ezekiel, you'll see his prophecies regarding what will happen to Jerusalem and to Judah on account of this rebellion, a continuous rebellion against not only God, but even those authorities. That rebellion by Zedekiah would end with the full destruction of Jerusalem by famine, fire, and sword. The gates and the walls of the city, the palaces, the temple itself would be leveled and the people killed or taken captive. Nebuchadnezzar's message in doing all of this to those nations around is this is what happens to rebels. Now as the uh, people of Israel were trying to make sense of all of this destruction and answer the question of why God would allow this to happen, they looked back among their kings and their people and their habits and ways of life and they about a hundred years prior to the time of Ezekiel, looked to the king Manasseh. And under his evil leadership, the people would do things like fortune-telling and omens, dealt with mediums and necromancers. They would even go so far in their worship their false worship, to sacrifice their children. And the chroniclers and historians of Israel, when looking back, became convinced by the Spirit of God that it was this era, the time of Manasseh, that brought down all of Jerusalem and Judea. Manasseh led the people in shedding very much innocent blood, it says in 2 Kings. And it is for these sins that God loosed his wrath upon Jerusalem and Judah. God, too, was sending a message to the people of Israel. This is what happens to those who rebel against God. Are you still feeling good about that rebel greeting at the beginning? (laughs) 
Perhaps it should give us a little pause on this day when we celebrate our independence. The Declaration of Independence speaks of our Creator God endowing all of humanity with certain unalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But in our rebellion against that same Creator, we pit these gifts against each other and use our liberty to deprive our neighbor of their life and livelihood. For instance, in the ongoing sexual revolution, we twist the right that God has granted us to pursue happiness to mean that we ought to be able to live however we want to live, according to our own definitions and terms, we define our happiness. We literally just ended a month where we celebrated pride in defining happiness by our own terms and our own individuality. We take pride in our rebellion We throw parades and we make pariahs of those prudes who are not woke enough to get along and to get with it. And it's our children who suffer the most. They're the ones who must undergo a constant assault, a barrage of exploitation as adults pursue their own version of happiness. Some are not so blessed to experience this barrage, if you can call it a blessing, because only those who are alive are the ones who experience this exploitation. The CDC releases figures for the number of abortions in given years. The most recent year for this is 2018. And according to the CDC, 619,591 babies were aborted in the United States in 2018. That is more than the total number of people who have died in America from COVID in that same amount of time. Actually, more than that, because COVID's been with us now for well over a year. We rebel against God when we justify or we explain away or we ignore the Manasseh-inspired shedding of very much innocent blood. In another example of how this rebellion is in full swing among us, we can look to the Bill of Rights The First Amendment of the Constitution enshrines for us the right to freely exercise our religion. But we take this for granted and often fail to exercise this historically unique privilege at all. According to polls conducted by the Pew Research Center dating from 2019, so this is pre-COVID, Less than half, 45%, 
of American Christians attended, uh, reported attending worship services at least once a month. And that is a 7% drop from just 10 years before that in 2009. It's not that we're not worshiping when we skip out on Sunday service. It's that we are worshiping idols. We are worshiping gods of our own making. Career, youth activities, family time, sleep. We call our gods by many different names. But like Manasseh and Israel, we rebel against God when we disregard his command to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Instead, neglecting to meet together in rebellion against the godly counsel that God gives us in Hebrews. The signers of the Declaration of Independence saw it as self-evident that all men are created by God as equals. But even before that was signed and even as the ink was drying on the paper, those signers defined men differently. 245 years, a civil war, multiple amendments, acts, and court rulings later, and we are a little closer to coming to an understanding of equality of humanity under God as God defines it in the scriptures. If Ezekiel would come among us today, what would he say? What would be the word of God to us? It might depend upon where Ezekiel would visit us. What if he visited our internment camps, I mean our detention centers, along the southern border? What if he traversed the hills of rural Appalachia or went to the reservations of Native Americans around our country? What if he walked the entire length of Central Avenue in Toledo? Or went up to the truck stops and the motels here off of 480? What would God have his prophet speak to us? We don't have to wonder. If we read through Ezekiel, we hear him say this, Words to Israel, but words that apply also to America today. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did abominable things before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. Bear your disgrace you also, for you have brought about for your sisters a more favorable judgment because of your sins in which you acted more abominably than did they. They are more in the right than you. So be ashamed, you also, and bear your disgrace, for you have made your sisters appear righteous. Elsewhere, he writes, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery 
They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the alien without redress. And I sought for anyone among them who would repair the wall and stand in the breach before me on behalf of the land so that I would not destroy it, but I have found none. Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their conduct upon their heads, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, otherwise iniquity will be your ruin, Ezekiel says. And you say, Pastor, stop reading out of Ezekiel. We can turn to the New Testament. And the message of Jesus and of his apostles is the same. Repent. Turn from your sin. Repent. And believe the good news. The response to Jesus and his apostles by those who heard this message continued rebellion. We heard it in Jesus' lack of welcome that he received when he went to his hometown. He was amazed at their unbelief. In his hometown of Nazareth, they balked, who does this guy think he is? Wherever he went, the religious establishment complained, this guy doesn't play by the rules. They branded him a rebel. Jesus. They took him to the governing authorities with this charge. He upsets the status quo. He's a threat to order. These are words that empires fear. If Rome was efficient at anything, it was in dealing with rebels. And so they crucified Jesus. The Romans, in crucifying him and setting him up on the cross on a main thoroughfare into Jerusalem, were saying to the passers-by, this is what happens to rebels. But Jesus... That rebel didn't stay dead. Talk about upsetting the status quo. And when he rose on that third day, he proclaimed that his death and his resurrection was for this purpose, that he was a rebel with a cause, your salvation. The salvation of all people. He rose from the dead on that third day and he proclaimed this message. God's wrath for sin had been poured out not upon the people as it had in Ezekiel's day, but upon him. He received the full force of God's wrath when he died on the cross. With the result that your sin is forgiven. Your participation in the rebellion that began with Adam and Eve, it has been pardoned. So if you are someone 
who has had an abortion, or if you're someone who has tried to justify that as anything less than murder, if you are someone who has been neglectful of worshiping God and keeping the Sabbath day holy, if you are someone who neglects the poor, who does not bother to ask why the poor are poor and does not seek to do anything to alleviate it, all these sins and whatever else you do or do not do, Jesus says by his death and resurrection, it is forgiven. You are forgiven. It is a subversive message designed to dismantle the rebellion against God once and for all. Jesus doesn't recruit or ask for enlistments, but he practices impressment. Think Saul on the road to Damascus. Jesus drafts people through his preaching of the word and by holy baptism gathering sinners to serve as his messengers of this subversive message. You've been plucked out of the ranks of rebellion and made a member of the resistance. A resistance not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, you are expected to pass along communiques to other members of the resistance, extending reasons for hope in this world of woe. You, as you have opportunity, are expected to try to rescue those who are still held hostage and under the influence of the rebellion by sharing the good news with them. You might even find yourself called upon to perform acts of sacred sabotage, exploding the railways of rebellion in our communities by shining the light of Christ in dark places. Make no mistake, while the rebellion of sin continues in its death's throes, you are a marked man, a woman with a target on your back, The forces at work against God don't like you any more than they like his son. As a member of Jesus' resistance movement, there is a chance that you could end up just like him. Mocked, criticized, harassed, despised, arrested, even killed. But more commonly, the tension between the rebellion of sin and the reign of Jesus Christ is experienced in the mundane day-to-day life of the Christian. Inner turmoil as you struggle not to fall into old habits again. As you experience shunning by your former comrades in the sin rebellion. All of this can take its toll. But we draw comfort from faith in Christ Jesus 
and his promise to St. Paul and to us. That God's grace is sufficient for you. That the victory that Christ won on the cross is secure. And that the rebellion is ended. And that the crown of righteousness is now reserved for you and for all who long for his appearing. In the name of Jesus, amen.